0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff.
1: We have a
2: liftoff. Hello, welcome to Starlights, the astronomy podcast for people interested in the cosmos. My name is Doug.
3: I'm Brian.
1: And I'm Jessica. And I'm Yasmin. Welcome to the third and last
2: part of our special general relativity episode. Woo-hoo! We this made it! This is the final chapter. You've all made it. It was tough. I know it was. It was very confusing. Well, it's about to get harder. <laughs> we are going to talk today about general relativity. So think everything we've talked about in the last episode, but change it. We're not going to keep <laughs> the velocities constant anymore. Screw that. We're gonna make everything accelerating and we're gonna put gravity in the mix and it's gonna get messy. So last time we ended off talking about Einstein having what he called the happiest thought of his life. And this is what has been later known as the equivalence principle, which is incredibly important to understanding what general relativity is all about. Um, does anybody wanna jump off and
3: explain the equivalence principle? Yeah, since I, since I brought it up last time. Uh, so Einstein, sitting there in 1907, had, had this thought. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a, it's a little bit of a dark thought, but it was his happiest thought. He said, what if you have someone jumping off of, a, off of a building? So Einstein said that this person falling off of a building would not actually be experiencing gravity. person falling from the building might disagree. But, no gravity. Uh, and the idea of this is what we call free fall. And, um, really, uh, what the, what the idea, the main idea here is that if you're in the same frame, then it is not you who is falling. It's more so the earth that is moving up towards you. Um, you are in free fall. It's as if you are in just outer space, just floating, basically. And the best way to think idea. about
1: that is like if you were to jump off of a building with a scale, um, before you jump off the scale will read whatever your weight is, and then as you're falling, the scale will read zero because it's falling with you. And right. so you're not experiencing like you're not experiencing the earth pushing up against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's truly like a state where you're you're not really experiencing like any other external force acting on you. Mm-hmm. And that's weird to think, because you would think, oh, if I'm sitting in my chair, I'm not experiencing any forces. Like, I feel fine. Here I am sitting. But it's because, you know, the gravity of the Earth is like a constant force that we're all experiencing. So it's a state where you can get away from that.
3: Right. And and this was especially weird, because, like Jessica said, you're not experiencing a force. So what does that mean about gravity? It means that it's not a real force. And, you know, we always learn that the form... Major forces are electromagnetism, the weak force, the strong force, and gravity. Um, but that really isn't entirely how we should think about gravity when we're talking about general relativity. Uh, it has very, very practical applications in how we live our lives, because obviously we do experience the effects of gravity. Um, but in reality, it is not really a force and uh this itself has, like, can be seen almost mathematically also. Um, so just quick background of, like, the electromagnetic force. Uh, the properties of particles actually has an influence on how that works. So the charge of a particle affects the electromagnetic force. They play off each other. But for gravity, as we all know, if you drop two objects in the same height, it doesn't matter what their mass is they'll still hit the ground at the same time. So the property of the, whatever you're dropping of the object of the objects, it doesn't matter really. Um, So, so gravity is just this very strange thing where it isn't really a force. Uh, We're going to call it an inertial reference frame. um, Another phrase that we've tossed around, Uh, but we'll, we'll explain it further um, but yeah, so just, just try to wrap your head around that. That's the main premise around general relativity is that gravity is not an actual force. It's based on an inertial reference frame. Um, and yeah, so an object that is falling is not actually falling per se. Uh, it, there's no force acting on it. This is not to say that gravity is not a thing. Right. It's most
2: certainly a thing and it has its effects and we experience it all the time. But that just our Newtonian understanding of what gravity is and how it acts is misguided, is what Einstein is saying. Right here. And. And
0: That's also not to say that, oh, now we understand gravity and what it actually is, because we still don't. Yeah. But it was a very important move for Einstein to say, well, the the way we currently understand it, that being Newtonian understanding of gravity, is wrong. And that shift was a huge deal, really.
2: Yeah, and the main thing behind it is that um, Einstein stopped looking at gravity as a, as a force and started looking at things more geometrically and try to view just basically everything that that happens with the effect of gravity as something happening with the geometry of everything around us, which I think is pretty interesting, like a jump that happened. And I wonder if there are more things in physics that we can explain oh, just by looking at the geometrical
3: aspect of them. So we, we do have some thought experiments that could help kind of explain this idea of the equivalence principle. Um, so one is if you're falling in an elevator, that's falling in free fall, uh, let's say you're in the elevator. Um, actually, no, but let's, let's say someone knocks you out, right. And then they put you in an elevator that's falling. Uh, when you wake up, you won't realize that you're falling. Right or that, yeah. Right, anything you're, is happening. Right, that anything yeah. is happening. Um, like there are no
0: windows to look out of. You're just in a box, right. and you feel nothing. You you know you think, oh, I'm not moving. Nothing's happening.
3: Yeah. Right. You think that you like you would be just kind of floating in the elevator. Like me. Because because like they're again you're falling with the elevator. You're just kind of floating with it, but you wouldn't realize that you're falling. Um, and again, that's like how they can you know take people up to space and then have them just kind of float around is because they're in free fall around the earth, uh, which is again, just another strange thing. But that's, that's basically the idea behind it. Um, that it's an inertial frame, uh, kind of like a centrifugal force where like, if you're in a car and you turn left, you feel yourself moving to the right, but you aren't actually have a force put on you. Um, that's kind of the same situation as gravity where you're in inertial frame. Um, and then, you feel the effects of a force, even though it's imagined. So how does this happen? Like, how does
2: this affect um, what we understand about gravity and what we understand about moving uh, at relativistic speeds, but not in a constant velocity? So I think a cool way of explaining this is talking about um, Einstein's, um, I'm, I'm not sure if he was the one that figured this one out, but the, the pie thing, um, that is really cool. So basically the idea is, is that if you're moving really fast, um, around the circle, the actual value of pi changes because the, there will be contraction in, in the direction that you're moving. So the circumference is going to change.
0: Yeah. And when you say the actual value of pi changes, another way to think of it that I find easier for me is like the, equations that would dictate the circumference of the circle, the area of the circle, those change. So you could think of it as, you know, well, the constant pi that's in that equation changes, or you could think of it as, well, now there's another constant there too, because, you know, the equation itself changes.
2: And basically the idea that Einstein got at is that actually what's going on is that the space um, that the circle is in is actually bending because of what you're doing. yeah. And this is why um, the value of the ratio of the circumference to the diameter exchange.
0: Yeah, so just to flesh that out a little bit more, if you didn't quite understand the explanation, um, it's the idea of moving in a circle, right? And we mentioned length contraction is an effect of special relativity. So for the person moving in the circle, you can we can say, Doug, right, running around the circle, you're gonna put down a ruler, for you know every foot that you're that you're walking. So you're gonna make a line of rulers along the edge of the circle. And Jessica and I are watching Doug run and we're gonna say, great, the circumference of the circle is twelve feet. Doug is gonna need 12 rulers, he'll put 12 rulers down. Let's ignore the fact that the rulers are straight and the circle is curved.
2: <laughs> you know just
0: imagine just ignore that doug is making a polygon it's by. curved
2: rulers that are 12 that are one foot.
0: yeah curved rulers <laughs> that are one foot long right one On one foot of a curved ruler it's okay that's beside the point <laughs> um doug is putting down these rulers and jessica and i are like awesome we're gonna give you 12 and then doug will actually do it and it will not be 12 he will mm-hmm. need more than 12 more than 12 i don't know how many but <laughs> yeah yeah so he'll be putting them down and then he'll run out right yeah and that's because, you know, the equation that we would use, Jessica and I use, to calculate the circumference of that circle is wrong for a circle that's curved. And why, like, uh, no, a circle in curved spacetime. And the reason why it's in curved spacetime is because Doug, uh, Doug is accelerating around it. And that acceleration is equivalent with gravity.
2: So far, we've yeah. been talking only about distortion in space. Um so we're gonna get into the idea of space-time. So far, space is actually bending and that's why the ratio is changing.
1: Wait, can I interject something? Sure. Yeah. Um another way you can think about that is if you were to like draw a circle on flat paper, it would have a certain radius. But if you were to like blow up a balloon and draw that or put that paper on a mm-hmm. balloon and measure the radius then then that would now be more because it has more space to cover because there's a curve on there. Um, so you can see like on a 2D surface, it may be shorter and on a 3D surface, it may be different if it's curved.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was the like the main conclusion, I think of general relativity is that space is curved, you know? Like-
3: well, so we have, we have to be careful about, about the use of the word curved. Um, so mm-hmm. when, when we think curved, we think it's kind of globe shaped, right? And you frequently see if you look up on Google Images general relativity, right, you'll you'll immediately get pictures of space-time being bent by some object. Like the typical example is you take a take a blanket, right, and that will stand for space, and you put a ball, a heavy ball in the middle, and it'll bend. It'll drop where that ball is. And that's kind of what we call curved. But it doesn't. But again, like, we're. Not the whole picture. The problem with humans is that we only see in three dimensions, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's a very, that's a two dimensional space using curved as like a three dimensional word. Um, and again, this example of a piece of paper with a circle drawn on it, put over like a ball or a globe, right? Again, it's two dimensional space put on a three dimensional object. So if we're careful when we use the word curved, because it's, it's three dimensional space. Curved in the fourth dimension. Which you just can't picture. Right. Which we obviously do not have any good ways at all of, of giving you imagery for that. Yeah. So the um, images
1: we've given are good analogs. So it's like it's like this but one dimension up.
2: It's a shadow. it's much yeah. harder to yeah.
0: Yeah. Much
1: So harder to see yeah.
2: See we're it. we're telling you to
0: envision two dimensions and then add a dimension.
3: Now the cool thing though But in is reality
0: that, it's three dimensions and then you add a dimension. The yeah. cool
3: thing though is that we mathematically can solve this right we can't picture it but einstein and that that was where his greatness was was that he solved this he he started playing around with higher dimensional space and which we call spacetime
1: and you know actually the part of the brain that's responsible for like uh like seeing things in 3d and like spatially and geometrically viewing things um they like einstein's brain um was like taken out of his head after he died, um, and they did like medical research with it, and that part of his brain was like fifteen percent thicker than the average person's. <laughs> yeah, so
3: he just had a better grasp of dimensions than we he did. Just kept talking, thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's pretty interesting.
2: What Brian just brought up, um, the math of it, right? So Einstein had to bring into the table something called tensor calculus, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Um, it's too hard, honestly. And Einstein practiced. Practically like reinvented tensor calculus as he was doing it. There's something called the Einstein notation in tensor calculus. That's something that he came up with. And what's really interesting is that while Einstein was doing this, um, he was not necessarily quiet about it, right? He was talking to his friends and his peers. He was like, I just had this big thing and I'm trying to figure it out. And one thing to understand about physics is that you don't just have an idea and then magically you just know the math that you'll need to make that work out. It was a long process of him trying to fit the math to what his idea guided him to. And he once asked help to one of his, one of his uh, mathematician friends, uh, a guy by the name of David Hilbert. And this was a very influential mathematician of the time. He was an expert in, in the area that Einstein needed tensors. And because Einstein was a physicist, um, physicists don't need that complex level of math as often as a mathematician will, you know? So, um, Einstein sent um, a thing, like a letter to Hilbert saying like, I'm having some trouble here with what's going on. I don't know what's, what's happening. And the math was just not working out. And there are stories that Einstein for a while gave up on the idea of a bent um, and so-called curved space-time and actually went a different direction. And then later came back to his original idea. But um, because of his shared correspondence with Hilbert, the two of the, the these two people were actually working on this project parallel to each other, and they were trying to figure out a way to fix it um, like at the same time. And they have the 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 mail that these two people shared with each other, and apparently it sort of turned into a race because Hilbert was figuring it out and he was getting there and he was almost there, and then Einstein was trying to catch up. Because Einstein wanted to publish the the paper first, because it was his idea. And he didn't want Hilbert to publish it and just take all the credit for
3: for his work. No, not just for the record. So again, Einstein's happiest thought was in nineteen oh seven when he came up with the equivalence principle. He didn't publish his paper until nineteen fifteen. Yep. So this is eight years of work for Einstein. Yep. It was not some sort not of work, one yeah. year and get out of there. It was eight years of intense math. Yeah. And Hilbert
2: actually did publish his version of the paper earlier than Einstein. I think it was about like two months earlier than what Einstein had done. And then Einstein published it later. And that was actually this whole like plagiarism suit that happened of people saying that Einstein had stolen the idea from Hilbert, but Hilbert was actually pretty honorable about it. And he said, no, it's okay. Um, Einstein came up with the idea first. It's his, it's his concept. And so, I just think that this is a pretty cool story about just like, even in the development of science, there's just like this fight. <laughs> but <laughs> to still, just there's honor. Get the rights of the things that's, I don't know, it reminds me of patents and it's weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I
3: just, I've had
0: experience with those.
2: Um,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so we have talked a lot about how, um, again, space is stretched with general relativity, but. Just like special relativity, general relativity also talks about how time behaves differently. Um, and so for general relativity, uh, the main theme is that whenever you're close to very massive bodies, then time moves slower. So if you are like on like some planet very, very far from a, a star, then time is going to move at a certain speed. And then if you're right up at the edge of the star, time's going to be moving slower for you there. Um, and then it's classically talked about with a black hole. So if you are nowhere near a black hole, then time moves at whatever speed.
0: In free space. Right? Yeah, in free
1: space. Yeah. Um, but then if you are like right up at the edge of a black hole, time pretty much stands still. Because um, space time is stretched out so much that time is like ticking by so slowly. No.
0: and yeah, in one, one analog, just to conceptualize, I guess, the relationship between space and time um, that I find very helpful, which I'm not sure is technically correct, but it helps a lot just to think of how they're related, is if you think of like the most simple equation of velocity, right? So velocity is distance over time. Mm-hmm. We've gone through all this trouble of convincing you that the speed of light is constant. So that velocity is constant. And... We've gone through all this trouble of convincing you that time is not constant in special Mm -hmm. relativity. And with general relativity, we're trying to convince you space is not constant. And it should make sense that if you have a constant velocity and velocity equals distance, meaning space over time, then time and space are intrinsically related in the ways in which they're distorted in order to account for their difference, not difference,
2: the ratio being constant. There,
0: yeah, that ratio being constant.
1: So if space is very much stretched, then time is going to be stretched with it.
3: Right, because um, this idea of space time is one right. connected.
1: It's like one. The constant,
3: basically, yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and just to kind of clarify a little bit what Jessica was saying, or to add on a little bit. Um, so it's it's similar in the way of special relativity, where if you are, it's based on reference frames, where if you are close to the massive object, you won't realize that your time is taking slower. You'll just think that person far away, their time is just taking faster. Um, and a classic example of this, or at least a well-known example, uh, comes from the movie Interstellar. Um, fun movie, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, but in this movie, spoiler alert a little bit, <laughs> um, they want to go to a planet that is close to a black hole. I wanna um, let
1: you go. Let you guys know that Yasmin is covering her ears because she hasn't seen
3: the movie. <laughs> I won't spoil too much. not want to know,
2: but I don't want to know.
3: So <laughs> I won't spoil too much. They want to go to a planet that's close to a black hole, right? But they don't want to waste a lot of time um, down at the planet compared to the people that are going to be left still on the ship uh, up that's orbiting around the planet. But it's it's far enough outside of the black hole's gravitational uh, impact that it's still running with like a standard as we would know standard time. Um so people that go down to the ship every 7 or every hour that they're down there is 7 years not on the planet. And that's the that's the conflict that they're faced with. And that comes out of general relativity. And they talk about that in the movie. So if you have like no clue about what general relativity is, you're probably sitting there thinking I don't understand what they're going on about. This doesn't make any sense. They're just speaking gibberish at that point. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all they're saying is when you're down near a massive object, uh, time just moves so much slower that, um, for black holes, it's like a ridiculous effect and you end up having stuff like one hour is seven years, uh, in a different frame. So yeah, general relativity has, uh, weird implications with time. Um, that's just like a, you know, cultural example that kind of just goes to show what, or what Jessica was talking about. Um, but, Aside from just what we see in movies, because again, you might just be sitting there thinking movies are fictional. Uh,
0: <laughs> if I may, though, I do know Interstellar had a science advisor who was Kip Thorne, who won the 2017 Nobel Prize in Physics. So
3: that's yeah, Interstellar- I Don't know what
0: happened because I covered my ears. Sure, it was accurate. <laughs> yeah,
3: Interstellar is uh,
0: that bit of it was accurate.
1: Very
3: accurate to the extent um, until like the end.
1: Yeah, end When it starts getting weird, they go.
3: But yeah. that's but not anyway. the point. Anyways, so but there are actually a lot of real life examples uh, that were used to prove that Einstein's theory of general relativity is correct. Um, one, The first one actually coming just four years after Einstein published his paper. Uh, and that, that happened four years after, actually, because they uh, needed to wait for a solar eclipse to happen. Um so I know that we've mentioned in previous episodes something called gravitational lensing uh particularly that was in the dark matter episode from season 1 check that one out good stuff
0: Yeah so just a quick reminder uh we were talking about the fact that large amounts of dark matter can gravitationally lens faraway background stars or galaxies behind them mm-hmm. right and we did not at all explain <laughs> how gravitational lensing works, but
3: we're about to. Yeah. So this experiment that happened in 1919 was carried out by Sir Arthur Eddington. Uh, And again, I mentioned there was a solar eclipse. So the sun, our own sun is actually massive enough to cause a little bit of gravitational lensing. So what happened was Eddington went out there with his telescope and his plotting devices and he plotted where stuff was just around the edge of the sun when it was blocked out. And of course, he had to wait for a solar eclipse so he could, one, look at the sun to see objects that were around it. Uh, And he measured where they should have been um, compared to where he actually saw them. And he found that there was a tiny bit of gravitational lensing going on. And that was the first observational proof uh, that Einstein was correct.
0: Yeah, so just to clarify, right, he looked at just a small patch of the sky, and, you know, you could look at that any night and see exactly where the stars are and exactly how far apart they are. And then he would see that same patch of sky when it was behind the sun, and, you know, knowing the exact distances uh, between those stars as they appear to us, right, he saw that those distances were changed because The stars behind the sun were being gravitationally lensed by the massive sun in between us, the observer, and those stars. So
1: as the light came from them to us, as it went near the sun, because it went through that, because it went next to that very massive body, um, the space and the time were distorted. And so that's why... They were like moved slightly in distance from where you could see them on a clear night,
0: whenever they didn't have to pass by the sun to reach us.
3: Yeah, well, and
0: so again, just a little recap about you know something we explained in the dark matter episode, but um, you know, dark matter is a very, very, very massive body that can be in between us and faraway galaxies, and you know, that massive body can gravitationally lens light that comes from behind it, and you know very strong lensing can create these phenomena called Einstein rings, which are basically rings of light from faraway galaxies that have, you know, dark matter between us and them. So the light from that galaxies will start traveling and it'll travel, you know, along the fabric of space time. Right. And since that fabric is distorted by the massive body, they will travel on a like so-called curved trajectory meaning that the light when you know if it's equally lensed in every direction will appear to us as a circle. And an important thing to note about that is that you can't imagine that the body between us and those stars is blocking any of the light. So don't think of it as light coming from a faraway galaxy and then hitting a massive object and Part of the light hits that object, and part of the light comes around, and that's why we see a circle. Because We see a circle because the massive object is blocking all the light that's in the middle. Because that's not what ha- what's happening. Every ray of light is being deflected around the massive body. So the circle that we see is composed of all of the rays of light that are emitted from that body. It's not like something in between us and them is blocking the light in the middle, so we only see an outer circle that outer circle is all of the light that has moved, you know, that light has been distorted.
3: Yeah. And, um, there's a pretty applicable way of kind of imagining why this happens. Um, so if you imagine you have a map, right, just a map of the world and it's, it's flat, you have it on a table. Um, and I think this is a pretty well-known fact that if you draw a straight line on a map, uh, when you try to wrap it around a globe, um, it, it bends, it distorts the line. It's no longer that straight line that you had before. Um, and the, the shortest point between two or the shortest distance between two points on a three dimensional curve is like a curve itself. It's not a straight line. Um, and this is kind of the same idea with a massive body is uh, you know, you always hear growing up that light tries to take the shortest path. Um, it always takes a very direct path. But because space time itself is curved in like another dimension, uh, light is following what is a straight path in its own frame, in a sense. Um, and it's the fact that space time is curved in another way, uh, that we think that like from, for us, it looks like light is bending. But light is still following a straight path just along another dimension, basically. It's weird. Um, but yeah, so, uh, gravitational lensing is weird, and we mentioned black holes a little bit as well, um, in Yasmin's example. Uh, so black holes actually, we didn't have any kind of theory for them before general relativity, um, until finally, you know, Einstein published his paper, and this guy named, uh, Schwarzschild, he was actually out in the fields in World War I. Um, and I guess in his free time of hiding in trenches, he started to, to plug in values to Einstein's equation. Um, so this guy was very smart also. And he realized that you could have an object that basically uh, is so massive and within such a small radius that light cannot escape its gravitational field, um, which is what we call a black hole. Uh, so yeah, Einstein's equations actually prove uh, the theory for, well, it gives a theory for a black hole. And then we have proof of black holes just from observational ev- evidence. Uh, but yeah, so out of Einstein's equations also comes some of the most popular examples of an astronomical body being black holes. Um, and black holes uh, also do some more cool stuff for us to see with with Einstein's shenanigans. Um, of which, actually, Yasmin works on. Yasmin is our in-house master of gravitational waves. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. <laughs> yeah, but um, so Yasmin uh, knows a little bit about how GR works with uh, gravitational waves. So if you want to give us a yeah, quick rundown, so basically,
0: gravitational waves in short, are ripples in space-time. And it's a weird thought because you would think that space-time is this thing that we live in and we have no way of detecting it, right? But there are very sneaky experiments made by Nobel Prize winners now uh, where you're able to detect these gravitational waves. So just to give you some sense of how that's created, I guess, take these really, really massive compact objects like black holes or very heavy stars that disrupt the fabric of space-time and start moving them, right? The same way if you have like a very heavy ball on a blanket and you, you know, roll the ball around in a circle, you're going to see that the fabric of the blanket is shifting as the ball moves through it. And that idea of motion in space-time causing the fabric itself to move turns out to be true with general relativity, So if you envision two very, very heavy bodies rotating around each other, and as they rotate around each other, they start to fall onto each other and at some point merge, right? That's a very dynamic kind of catastrophic event. And if you try to do that with like two bowling balls on a blanket and you see two bowling balls orbiting around each other on a blanket, you're going to see a lot of ripples in the fabric of that blanket. And those ripples are gravitational waves if those bowling bowling balls are black holes. (laughs) Um, So the theory of gravitational waves existing really comes from Einstein's time. And it was only proven, directly detected in 2015. But yeah, September 14th, 2015 was the first detection of two binary black holes that merged and caused a very catastrophic, (laughs) very disruptive ripple in space-time. And that ripple came all the way to Earth and was detected by LIGO, which is the gravitational wave interferometer. And as we mentioned back in uh, that Michelson-Morley experiment, if you remember all those weeks ago, (laughs) um, LIGO is an interferometer, right? So it has two perpendicular beams of light that interact with each other and create a diffraction pattern. And depending on how those beams of light are altered, right, the diffraction pattern will be different. So if you have two beams of light that are the same exact length, you'll have constructive interference. And if one of them is a different length, even by like the size of an atom or less, the size of a half a fraction of a wavelength of light, right? So that that's crazy small. We're talking mm-hmm. like a like a couple hundred nanometers. No. How much is a wavelength? 600 500 nanometers. Yeah. yeah. So you're moving that by maybe a hundred nanometers, right? That, that's very, 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 very small, I right? Can stop it. Yeah, truly. <laughs> so LIGO is a very, very sensitive interferometer that's seismically isolated from a lot of, you know, things on earth that might cause those beams to shift and shake, like earthquakes or people just walking and moving and living anything. It's very, very well constructed experiment, very accurate, very precise. And the smallest little shifts in the lengths of those beams of light will cause an interference pattern that LIGO will record and detect, and that interference pattern will directly correspond to how much space-time is being warped in that instance. And the reason why it works, for gravitational waves specifically, is because a wave comes and hits Earth, and the wave will be, you know, kind of moving up at one point, moving down at one point. And Earth, since we exist in space-time... As space-time itself is being warped, Earth will be warped. So you can imagine Earth getting really thin and really tall and really fat and really short and like oscillating through those states. So Earth itself is being warped, which means everything on Earth and in Earth and everything in the universe really is being warped because we all exist in space-time, including the beams of light. So the beams of light are being warped. And since LIGO has perpendicular beams of light, one beam of light will be warped in a different way than the other. Because, you know, the gravitational wave will not change things in two perpendicular directions at the same time. Yeah, so just another interesting kind of consequence of the fact that general relativity exists and gravitational waves exist and we're finally able to collect and analyze them is the idea of multi-messenger astronomy. So up until now in our history, really, all the astronomy we've ever done and everything we've ever known about the universe was seen with light. Like even if you want to think back to before we kind of sent probes to space to go like really analyze things up close and directly, um, everything we've ever seen from the universe is, is that information is conveyed with light. So all of astronomy is like an analysis of light. And you know, in the past hundred years or so, We've done some particle physics and gotten some cosmic muons and cosmic neutrinos and things like that. And that added another messenger to our understanding of the universe, right? A physical messenger like these cosmic particles. And now gravitational waves are a third messenger because these movements in space-time give us an absolutely new or a completely new viewpoint into the universe. A completely new window that we've never really looked through before. And it's kind of brand new and a lot's known about it and a lot isn't. So it's a really, really interesting field to be working in because there's so much room for expansion and there are so many things that can only be really seen through this lens. And I think it's kind of awesome that we're at a point in history where we're finally getting to this multi-messenger astronomy where we can look at one event and see the particles that came from it, and see the light that was emitted from it, and see the effect it had on space-time.
1: Mm-hmm. And something really cool, especially about LIGO doing this, is that before, whenever we had different messengers, um, it was usually like we could either observe something, or we could physically uh, have this muon or something. But with like LIGO's recent detection of like a neutron star merger, Um, we could see that in LIGO's gravitational wave detection. And we could also, um, see that in the like electromagnetic spectrum. If we like looked in that spot, we could see the flash from that happening. So we saw the same event from two different like messengers and that's something that's really cool. And like also that really corroborates that because now if the same event is sparking two different things, then we can be more sure that that event did happen is what we thought it was. Um, so that's something that's really new and groundbreaking that's going on right now.
0: Yeah, and that binary-neutral merger was the
3: first time.
1: Yes, and that was, like, in August or something, right?
3: Yeah. Um, so just in case you still don't believe all of this and you don't believe that, uh, that gravity is just nothing more than an inertial reference frame, there is a quick in-house experiment that we can tell you about. Um, so if you want to just take your car, right, you don't need a train or or atomic clock this time, you just take your car and you hang a weight from it from like just on the inside. And then you also attach a balloon from a string, Um, so it's just kind of floating in the car and then you accelerate. You'll notice that the weight will swing back while the balloon will swing forward. Um, and this is because it's in, a, in an inertial accelerated frame now. Um, and the interesting part about this is if you kind of imagine if your car is on a slanted hill also, gravity would have the same effect where the weight would swing towards the back of the car while the balloon would move forward. So if you're accelerating at 9.8 times, or if you're accelerating at 9.8 meters per second squared, um, in your car, it will actually have the same configuration as if you were just in a gravitational field pointed upwards, um, or pointed in that direction that you're moving also. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's strange. Um, But yeah, gravity basically is nothing more than an inertial reference frame, uh, which is pretty cool and pretty weird. Uh, Both that I think we're out of time. Um, Yeah. Relativity is a really hard topic. We encourage everyone to look more into it if they want to. Uh, Of course, we'll include links and pictures to help everyone kind of imagine this stuff. Um But yeah, for that, uh, thank you for listening to us talk about one of the most interesting topics in science. Uh, I'm Brian.
0: I'm Jessica. I'm Yasmin.
3: I'm Doug.
2: See you guys next time.